going to be resuming our series, or rather picking up where Joe left off last week in 1 Peter 4. We're going to be in verse 7, uh, looking at verses 7 through 11. And just a reminder, just a recap to constantly keep this in the forefront of our minds, that Peter is writing this letter to people suffering extreme persecution and suffering, and he's talking to them about the victory in Christ. And so have that idea of victory in Christ as we listen to these words. Uh, but if you will, please, if you would stand out of respect for the words of our king, and we'll read it together. They'll also be on the, on the screen. This is 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we praise you. We praise you three in one. Thank you for adopting us. Your word says that you gave us the right to be called your children. What an honor. Thank you for your word. Thank you for a living, sharp, active word. Use it as only you can. Convict us today. Grow us today. Get rid of me. May these not be my words. May I have nothing to do with the word that's spoken today. May it be you. I desperately need it to be you. This church needs it to be you. May we listen to your word with ears opened by the Spirit, with hearts softened to his leading and his conviction. Make us holier. Make us like Jesus. Sanctify your bride. As we continue to worship, God, may it be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we come to this great passage in Peter, and he starts off with, since the end of things is at hand. And this isn't referring to a linear, like there's three more years. You know, Peter's not saying, hey, look, you've got 60 more days. And then he's talking about the consummation of things. So he's talking about the conclusion of the order of things. And what he's referring to is Jesus has come. He has died. He has resurrected. He has ascended. So now the next step in history is Jesus's return, the consummation of things, the conclusion of things. So therefore, since this is the final phase that we find ourselves in, he is not giving a timestamp. He is not saying you just got to get to year 2034. He's saying since the next step in history is the return of Christ, keep these things in mind. And he starts off with verse 7. And I want to draw our attention to this verse as we go through verse by verse, because in verse 7 we find a lesson that's a callback to 1 Peter 3, if you recall the sermon from a few weeks ago in this series. We frequently put two and two together that, 
okay, well, if I pray rightly, it will positively affect my life, right? Having a right, solid prayer life positively impacts my day-to-day -day life. And we very easily make that connection, make that association. When I talk to people who are struggling, when I talk to people who are hurting, when I've done self-examination in my own life and noticed a struggle, or this week was harder than another week, why? I frequently hear, well, I feel like my prayer life was, was lacking this week. I feel like my prayer life was struggling this week. So we very easily make the connection that praying rightly impacts living rightly. But what Peter points out in verse 7 here, and what Peter pointed out back in chapter 3, and what we see throughout Scripture, is that the way we live affects our prayers. And living rightly impacts our ability to pray rightly. Listen to verse 7 again. Therefore, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. If you go back to chapter 3, what did he write? He said, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so as we consider this idea, listen to these verses as well. Psalm 66, 18 and 19. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Proverbs 28.9, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Now before we get holier than now and say, yeah, that sinful world needs to pay attention to that, what is that phrase that's in there? If one turns his ear away from hearing the law. This is someone who's paid attention. This is written to God's people. Solomon was not writing these Proverbs and sending them to the unbelieving nations. Solomon, as led by the Holy Spirit, was writing this to the people of Israel. And he says if one turns his ear away from hearing the law, from living by it, from internalizing it, from following it, his prayer is an abomination. 1 John 3, 21 and 22, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And then 1 Peter 3.12, the verse I referenced a moment ago, we see that Peter is referencing Psalm 34, yet another scriptural passage where we see that the way we live has direct impact on our prayers and the way we pray. And let's be clear, I'm not saying, Scripture is not saying that we have to be sinless to pray. If we had to be sinless and perfect to pray, Jesus is the only person who can ever pray. Point blank, done, my prayers don't count if I have to be sinless. But we cannot deny in seizing that and saying, well, the Bible wants me to be sinless? Okay, no, 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 the Bible is not saying you have to be sinless. But then we can't swing too far in the other direction and say, well, the way that I conduct myself and the way that I live has no bearing on my prayers. God, you're still obligated to do exactly what I pray for. We cannot deny the biblical commands and emphasis on holiness and on our call to strive for holiness, to seek holiness, to pursue holiness, to work out our faith with fear and trembling. We cannot deny that God has called us to live a life of sanctification, pursuing Christ in conformity to Christ. And we cannot deny that Scripture abundantly time and time again makes it clear that the way we live affects our prayers. Because consider what he says, the two things that Peter points out in leading up to for the sake of your prayers. He says, be sober-minded and self-controlled. These are two fascinating words. Listen to James 
James 4.3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Our passions. We ask and we do not receive because we ask wrongly. Why? What is our motivation? To satisfy our passions. To give in to our emotional passions. So we allow our emotions to dictate us or the way we live, the way we approach things, and so we wind up asking wrongly. Peter here says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. And those two words, self-control, can also be translated, your versions might say, sound judgment. And that word, it comes from two root words that mean safe and what regulates life. So the root word that he's getting at when he says self-control is an internally safe regulation of life that directly affects your external behavior. It's properly, if you were to expand it out and write it out, it's having a sober outlook that reflects true balance, to think shrewdly, to reflect, and to live based on what God defines as proper moderation, not swinging too far to one extreme or to the other. It is entirely possible for Christians to be absolutely naive, head in the sand, blind to the world, in their judgment and in their thinking. We can absolutely wind up here, right? But then in the name of correcting it, in the name of, well, I don't want to be naive, it is entirely possible that we come all the way over to paranoid, anxious about everything, fearful, scared, terrified, constantly waiting for Chicken Little, the sky is falling. And today is the worst day that has ever happened in human history. And we are suffering more than any people in the extent of human history. I mean, it is entirely possible to, in the name of avoiding naivete, swing all the way over to absolutely paralyzing, crippling fear. That is not temperate. That is not balanced. And so what self-control is getting at is balance. It's saying, I will not be swayed by either extreme. I will be here based on what God defines as truth, based on what God defines as the way I should live. Uh, Kay Wust, in his word studies in this passage, he describes it as that the person of God is one who does not command himself, but rather is commanded by God. Do we have a properly balanced outlook? Recognizing things that are wrong and evil and not being afraid to call them out as such, but also recognizing that God is sovereign over all, and his timing is perfect, his plan is perfect, and he is omnipotent. Is this the balance of our lives? And then sober-minded, having a clear presence of mind, which enables you to remain temperate. See how the two are tied together? If I am not sober-minded, if I am not thinking rightly, I will not be able to maintain self-control. And when those two things happen, I will not pray as I should. What do we see in Psalms? We see David pray against evil. There is a place for prayers against evil. If I'm naive... If I'm blind, I'm not going to be praying rightly because everything is sunshine and rainbows and there are no problems in the world that I should be trying to go after in prayer. When we drive past, the kids left, when we drive past porn shops on the highway, I pray that they suffer financial ruin. I pray that those businesses close. I pray against the evil that that inflicts on our community. If I pretend like that doesn't exist, I'm not going to pray rightly. But if I'm all the way over here in fear and anxiety and crippling panic and terror, I'm not going to pray rightly. 
because I'm going to be so emotionally controlled by the negativity around me that I'm going to lose sight of God's sovereignty. So Peter says in this passage, hey, look, the conclusion of things is at hand, so be sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. So Christians, we got to reflect on our prayer life. If my prayers are all, woe is me, woe is the world, things have never been this bad. I mean, if my prayers are all doom and gloom, am I sober-minded? Do I have a proper view on God's sovereignty and His timing? If my prayers are all blind to the realities of the world, do I have a proper view on evil and what I have been called to do about it? Be sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. We have to be willing to look at our prayer life and say, okay, do my prayers reflect that I am properly in control of my thoughts? What else do we see in Scripture? I take every thought captive and submit it to Christ. What do we see in Scripture? We see if anything is noble, if anything is pure, if anything is lovely, think on these things. Am I living rightly so that I may be praying rightly? Praying for the things that God wants me to pray for. Praying as Jesus taught us to pray. Why do you think we've continued to, way back in January, we did a sermon on the discipline of prayer, and we looked at biblically the examples of prayers of adoration, prayers of confession, prayers of thanksgiving, and prayers of supplication, all four of which you see rampant throughout Scripture. Why do you think we've continued to use that Acts model every week as we seek to pray based on what we studied that week in Scripture? Because our prayer lives should be balanced. So if I look at my own life and I realize I never am praying prayers of adoration, I'm never praying prayers of praise to God, I'm never praying prayers of thanksgiving to God, am I lacking contentment in my life? Am I balanced? Maybe I'm never praying prayers of confession. I'm a pastor. I just got ordained. I've got it all figured out. Surely I've never done anything that I need to confess. I hope all you sinners are confessing in your prayers. Not me. If my prayer life never has confession to it, man, i got to take a long, hard look in the mirror and wonder what arrogance is doing to my life. Because that doesn't seem very balanced. That doesn't seem very sober-minded. That doesn't seem very self-controlled. And prayers of supplication. If I'm never asking God for anything, well, why am I disregarding Him when He says, come to me and ask? Do I doubt His ability to provide? Because things are so bad that surely there's not a way out of this? I mean, we got to look at our prayer life and wonder, okay, the way I am living, the way I am thinking, is it negatively or positively affecting how I pray? This is what Peter lays out in this passage. But then he reminds us of something, and he also uses it to talk about the church and the way the church relates to one another. And I really like how these two go together. So he's talking about be self-controlled and sober-minded. And then he comes to verse 8. And in verse 8, he says this. He says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. I love the building of this. Be sober-minded, be self-controlled, and keep loving one another earnestly. What sins of mine did God cover when Jesus died? All of them. 
What sins of yours? Now, this isn't I don't have to confess anymore, right? Like, we just dealt with that. But God's love covered my sin. God's love covers your sin. So why do we then withhold forgiveness and love and mercy to the church for sins against us? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to the body of believers about their relationships with one another. And he says, love one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Remember the lesson we looked at earlier in 1 Peter? This isn't, the, this isn't the first time that Peter says, love earnestly. What do we look at back in chapter 2? Agape ectenos. A decision to love, to love sacrificially. And that word ectenos that he repeats here earnestly, do you remember the idea of that? It was stretching ourselves to our fullest capacity because that's what's necessary for the church to reach its potential. That's what that word means. That's what Peter is calling the church to. Here's a fellow believer in the church. They're suffering. They're hurting. They need help. Well, I tried. They're just out of reach. No, man, stretch. Extend yourself. This is a believer who's wronged me. Well, I tried to forgive him. I tried to be nice to him. No, stretch. Get there. This is what Peter calls the church to. He's like, man, church, you got to stretch yourself. Why? Because that's what's necessary to be what you were meant to be. This is a love of choice. This is a love that is not self-seeking. This is a love that is not self-serving. This is a love that looks at one another and says, I choose you in a way that I will sacrifice myself. You know who needs forgiveness in this church from you all? Me. I'm going to forget birthdays. I'm going to forget anniversaries. I'm going to forget when you're in the hospital. I'm going to forget to call and pray for you. I'm going to forget to stop by your house and visit you. I'm going to let you down. Not deliberately. I'm not making plans to let you down. But I am a fallen person. I am going to need you all to forgive me. You know who else is going to need you all to forgive them? Your elders. You're going to need to forgive one another. We are not perfect people. So we need to make a decision. Will I choose to love the other imperfect people who make up this church with me, an imperfect person? This is what we've been called to. Love that stretches us. Why? Because that's the model that Jesus gave for us. And he includes in this, as he's talking about this, he then comes to details in verses 9 through 11. He says, Love one another earnestly, because love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. We cannot stress this enough. Christians are made and meant for the body. You cannot provide what the body is designed to provide on your own. 
even within your family. The body is meant for one another. Christians are meant for one another. They are designed for the body. If you doubt this, read 1 Corinthians 12. And I'll use an example I've used before. If I cut my hand off right now, cut my hand off, cauterize the wound, toss it to the side, Mike and Matt, you guys have medical knowledge. Is that still technically a human hand? Okay. So it's detached from the body. Two or three weeks go by. We don't pick it up. Would you describe that as a healthy human hand? Functioning the way it should be? No. So a Christian who chooses to detach themselves from the body is not a healthy functioning Christian the way they were made to be. We are meant for the body. We are meant to love one another, to serve one another, to teach one another, to help one another. This is the plan. This is the design. And guess what? God, in his omniscience, knew that the church was going to be made up of a bunch of imperfect people. So when we sit there and we start to think, yeah, well, but, but the church has really hurt me. Okay, that, that does. It happens. I'm sorry. I, I genuinely am sorry. The worst hurt that I have received in my life has come from Christians. And I want to scream, you should know better, but then I realize, yes, yeah, Sam, you should know better. God still designed the church to be a beautiful, integral part of the Christian's life, to be the unified bride. And it will require us to love one another in a way that stretches ourselves. I've said this before, I'll say it again, and I mean this. If you were looking for the easiest, most comfortable life possible, you shouldn't have become a Christian. I mean, you made a bad decision. <laughs> well, I'm going to sign up to be with Jesus because I just want to sit back and have nothing require anything of me. You got on the wrong boat. We're called to love in a way that stretches us to forgive one another, to extend mercy, to serve one another. Yeah, but I have needs. Yeah, you know what? Everybody in this room has needs. Serve one another. I mean, that's the reality of it. The reality is we are meant to be a part of this beautiful, incredible bride of Christ, assembled by the Holy Spirit, sanctified by Jesus. Why would I not want to be a part of that? Why would I not want to give myself to that? And he lays these details out. And then he says, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. See, we're stewarding it for God. The church is not about you. The church is not about me. The church is not about your favorite pastor from 50, 40, 30, 20, 100, 200 years ago. The church is not about your favorite theologian, your favorite worship band. The church is not about any of us. The church is about the glory of God. And so we love one another earnestly. We serve one another earnestly. We do these things as stewards of what God has entrusted us with. What else does it say? As each has received a gift. Well, I feel like I'm not gifted. Are you a believer? Then you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has gifted you for the edification of the church. 
So if you're listening to the lie that says you have nothing to offer to the church, you need to tell that voice to stop. We have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have been assembled by the Holy Spirit. Check out Ephesians 2 if you want to really get your mind blown on this. And we have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to edify the church. So it is possible that there are people here in this body, in Community Bible Church, who may not be aware of where they can serve and how they can bless this church. If that's the case, man, come talk to me. We'll figure it out. We'll figure out what you're passionate about. We'll figure out what you're skilled at, where your aptitude lies. We'll figure out maybe you're someone who has been gifted with a helpful spirit. And you're like, I'll go anywhere. Just tell me where there's a hole and plug me in. But as each has a gift, as stewards of the gift, consider Matthew 25, 14 to 30. We won't read the whole passage, but this is where Jesus gives the parable of the three servants. And the master goes away and he entrusts each servant with a different amount of money. And he says, steward this well until I return. They're not given the same. They weren't meant to. You think the master knew what he was doing? Yeah. But every servant was given something to steward. And to steward for what? For the glory and the blessing of the master. So we all assembled here in this church have been gifted and called to serve one another and edify this body of believers. It is no coincidence that you are a part of this church. It is no accident. It is not arbitrary. It is the design of God to build up his body and gift the body in a way that then builds itself up in love. Check out Ephesians 4. This is what we have been called to as the church. This is what Peter reminds believers of in one of the most difficult times of their lives. He says, things are going terrible for you. Everything is falling down around you. Life is crumbling as you know it. Don't lose sight of your calling to serve one another and love one another. So maybe on that spectrum of sober-mindedness, I'm tempted to start itching this way and things are falling apart and it's getting worse than it ever has before. I need to hunker in. I need to be like a turtle and withdraw into my shell. Just me and mine, right? It's you and I. Nobody. No, Peter's like, hey, hey, hey. Love one another. Serve one another. Do not forget the church. And then he brings us to the most beautiful part of all of this. The second half of verse 11 I love, I love this passage. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, we love one another, we serve one another. We forgive one another to glorify God. In fact, I'm going to throw this out there. It might be our best opportunity to look like Jesus when we forgive the church. It might be our best opportunity to look like Jesus when we extend mercy and grace to the church. Who were the ones pushing for Jesus' crucifixion? The unbelievers or the Jewish people? It was his own people. It was his own people calling for his blood. You think Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by his own? 
So yeah, we're going to hurt one another. We're going to mess it up. We're going to get it wrong. And in that, we have an opportunity to look like Christ. We have an opportunity to say, Joe, man, I blew it. You're my brother in Christ, and I hurt you. I wounded you. I betrayed you. Would you forgive me? And Joe has the opportunity to look like Jesus and say, yes. I extend myself. I stretch myself to show you mercy, to show you forgiveness, to show you grace, to show you compassion, to show you kindness. Because this is what Jesus did for me. This is what Jesus did for us. So why can the church not do this for one another? I mean, the opportunity we have to bring glory to God by serving one another, by doing what He has called us to. And note the word belong. It says this belongs to God. Listen to this passage, Romans eleven thirty three through 36 Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. I love that verse that says, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? I also don't like that verse because God regularly uses that verse to humble me. Because when I start to think that I'm owed something, the Holy Spirit reminds me of that verse. Really, what have you given to me that I owe you a debt now? I mean, who among us could say that, yeah, God owes me one. I mean, I know Jesus died for me and took away my sins so that I might have eternal life. But I gave an extra 22 weeks ago. God, you owe me now. I served in the kids' wing for 10 years. God, come on, pay back. Who has given to God that he might repay him? No, it all belongs to him. We're just stewarding it. And that is an honor that is indescribable. That is a joy and a privilege that is unmatched. That is the privilege and duty of the church. Because glory and honor belong to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Ephesians 3.20 and 21 Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You see the heavenly beings in Revelation cry out, Holy, 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 that thrice repeated word. It was, a, it was a way to indicate that this is the perfection, this is the completion, this is the essence of holiness. God in that is due, is worthy of all glory and honor. So when we look at the church and we say, how can the church serve me? No, the question is, how can I serve and love the church in a way that brings glory and honor to God? Famous quote from American history. I'll bet you guys can finish this. Ask not what your country can do for you. 
what you can do for your country. That works for America, but when it comes to the church, no, no, what can the church do for me? Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church to glorify God. This is what Peter lays out for the believers, and he describes it in such a beautiful way. I mean, we have a chance to serve the bride of Christ. Like, that's awesome. And, and I'm going to remove myself from being a part of that because I'm too busy? Because I'm too distracted? Because I think that I don't have anything to offer? Man, that flies in the face of everything in Scripture. It, it's incredible what He has given us. And it's why we push so hard as leadership. Because this is the best pursuit we can give ourselves to. I'm going to do everything I can to look like Jesus. And part of looking like Jesus is going to be loving and serving the church in a way that stretches me. And I believe this all ties back to being sober-minded and self-controlled with a proper view of myself and a proper view of the world around me, and in that, a submission to the authority of God. Jesus, who I claim as my King. So this week, as we consider these things, we're going to read through Zechariah. Zechariah 3, 6, 9, 12, and 13. There's six days in your week. There's only five chapters. You pick your off day. That's on you. That's easy. A chapter a day. And as you read through these chapters in Zechariah, look for the themes of this message. Look for what we looked at. Look for the idea of sober-minded and self-controlled. How does Zechariah 3, 6, 9, 12, and 13 feed your sober-mindedness and your self-control? How do these chapters lead you to pray in light of being sober-minded and self-controlled? What do you see about the glory due to Jesus in these chapters? As we read through these chapters, look for what we just talked about, what we just studied in 1 Peter. The prayer... Apply the Acts model. How does this lead you to praise God? How does this lead you to confess to God, to thank God, to ask God? And then the third piece, imitate Christ. Maybe there are some of us in this room right now who still will not forgive the church or members of the church for something that happened to us. Maybe there are those of us in this room, maybe you're listening online, maybe you watch this a week from now, a month from now, and you're holding back forgiveness and mercy from the church. Imitate Jesus. Forgive. It's not easy. I've been there myself. I've shared my testimony up here. You want to talk about it? Come find me. We'll walk through it together. I will cry with you because I cried myself. I know the pain of forgiving the church. But I also know the absolute joy and freedom on the other side of that. I know what it felt like to lay that burden down of resentment and bitterness and to say I forgive you and mean it. If that's not you right now, praise God. The day's probably coming. The time is probably coming when you're going to need to forgive another Christian. You're going to need to forgive another member of the church. So be ready to imitate Jesus in that day. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the church. We thank you for your patience with this group, this assembly of broken, fallen people. 
we thank you that you say in Ephesians 2, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What an incredible calling. What an incredible blessing to be a part of. What a joy to be the church. So Lord, open our eyes to all the opportunities and ways we have to stretch ourselves in earnest love for one another. Open our eyes to the ways we can extend ourselves to reach the fullest capacity to be the church as you mean it to be. Lord, we give you ourselves. We return your church to you. I mean, it's yours. The honor and the glory of it is yours. So lead us in offering it to you every day of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.